Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us this morning here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. Those of you who are in the room with us and those of you who are joining us online, I want to thank all of you for coming and, and joining in with us this morning, and we are glad that you are here. If you've got your Bibles with you, I hope that you do. Please take them. Turn with me once again to the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23. This morning we are going to take our fourth and final look at this most beloved and probably most well-known of all the psalms that we have been looking at over the last few weeks. And this morning we're going to do that by looking at the last two verses of Psalm 23. Before we get there, however, I just want to drop back to verse 4. Again, you didn't think that I could get it all in last week for verse 4, right? Um, this is the verse that we looked at last week. I want to point out something to you that I didn't point out last week, but that I do think is very important to take note of. Um, David says in verse 4, he says, Yea, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Now what I want to point out to you is that in verse 4, there's a change in the way in which David refers to the shepherd. In verses 1 through 3 of this psalm, the shepherd has been referred to in the third person. In, in verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. Then in verses 2 and 3, he says, he, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What's evident from verses 1 through 3 is that the conversation that David has is with you and me. He's talking to you and me about his shepherd. He's telling us who his shepherd is and he's telling us what his shepherd does. That's, that's the conversation in verses 1 through 3. But when we get to verse 4, and David finds himself in that deep and that dark valley of the shadow of death. The conversation changes. Notice he's no longer talking to us in verse 4. No, he is speaking directly to his shepherd. When he gets into the valley, David no longer tells us about the shepherd in the third person. Rather, David talks directly to his shepherd in the second person. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You see, the you there is not us. The you there is the Lord. The you there is the shepherd. And that's important for us to note for at least a couple of reasons. First of all, it reminds us of just how close our good shepherd is to us when we're in the valley. Well, we need to remember that, don't we? When we're in the valley, we need to know just how close the shepherd is to us. It is not as if the Lord is suddenly closer to us in the valley than he was on the mountaintop. The difference is we're just often much more aware of how close the shepherd is to us when we're in the valley. We, we pay attention more. If, if we're honest, the valley tends to invigorate our prayer life. When we get there is when we seem to realize just how much we need Him and we call on Him, but we find that He's always there. Nevertheless, when David turns his attention away from us 
in verse 4 and turns his attention to the Lord, we ought not feel as if he is disregarding us. No, we are just being allowed to look in upon a very intimate conversation between someone and their Lord. In fact, that's what I would say. There is an intimacy in this whole this prayer that occurs there in verse 4. And it reminds us of this intimacy that's not just available to David, but to all of the sheep of the Lord's flock, particularly when we're in the valley. The intimate nature of the relationship that the sheep have with their shepherd is important for us to note there in verse 4, and we're going to see it play its way out in the last part of the psalm as well. The second reason that I think it's important to note this shift that occurs there in verse 4 is because it prepares the way for another shift to take place in the last two verses of this psalm. There's a shift in metaphors. I propose that that it takes place. Up to this point, David has used the metaphor of, of a shepherd with his sheep. And, and it talks about how much the shepherd cares for his sheep and leads the sheep. But in the final verses of this psalm, the metaphor changes a bit. David begins to present to us the Lord as, as a host. A host who invites us into his home. And he begins to provide for us and to do wonderful things for us. That's, that's the metaphor that David begins to use. He uses the one of a benevolent host who welcomes in his guests. In fact, note with me and read with me the final two verses of this psalm because we've been, we've been reading it together all along. So let's do it again this morning. Beginning in verse 5, the Bible says there, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for what it tells us and teaches us. We thank you for the comfort that it brings to us in the midst of the dark valley, and we thank you for the hope that it provides us for the future. I pray this morning that you would speak through your word, that your Holy Spirit's anointing would be upon me, but Lord, that it would also be upon all of us in this room, that you would open our eyes and our ears to the truth of what you want to communicate to us. Give us open and receptive hearts to what you desire for us to learn today, that we would apply it and live obedient lives unto you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I just mentioned to you, I believe that there is an obvious shift in metaphors that David uses in the last two verses. I mean, it just seems to me a little bit of, of a stretch to talk about sheep sitting at a table, eating of fine, sumptuous food, and drinking from cups that are overflowing while dwelling in a house. That, that to me, is just a metaphor that stretches it a little farther. But there are those who would propose that the, that the shepherd and sheep metaphor continues here, and I, I don't argue with it. I've mentioned Philip Keller over the past few weeks that he's written a book uh, in, that, that focuses on the 23rd Psalm. He himself was a shepherd and also a pastor. Keller, Keller interprets these, these verses in light of the shepherd's preparation of the, the high tablelands, he calls them, the mesas that were there where, where the shepherd would, would go ahead of his sheep and he would, he would clear the land of all like the noxious and poisonous weeds and, and, and that he would drive away all the physical hazards that were there. He would drive out all of the predators that, that existed in those areas and, and Keller interprets this as meaning this is what it means for the shepherd to prepare 
a table for the sheep in the presence of his enemies. Keller also describes how sheep, how a shepherd would, would take a, 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 a mixture of olive oil and, and some, some kind of other uh, spices that would mix together and then he would use this to, to anoint or to pour on the sheep in order to, to ward off against flies, particularly the kind that would infest their nose and just really aggravate sheep to, to a great degree. And that this is what David is, is, is talking about when he says he anoints their head with oil. And honestly, I have no, no problem whatsoever with those connections and that, that they can certainly be made between what a shepherd does and what occurs for the sheep. But nevertheless, what we have to remember is that this is poetry. What, what David writes here is poetry. And David's ultimate goal is not to tell us about sheep. David's ultimate goal is to tell us about his relationship with the Lord. And so everything that he's pointing us to is not to drive us to, to force something into a metaphor about shepherd and sheep, but really to, to force us into understanding about what our relationship with the Lord may be like. And so therefore, when we come to these final two verses, it seems to me that in this psalm, David not only pictures himself as a sheep out in the field, but he also presents himself as a guest in the benevolent host's home. He, he is one who benefits from being invited into the, ho the home of, of this wonderful, benevolent host. So in these final two verses, there's some beautiful pictures that I think David presents to us. Pictures that tell us just how blessed we are when we find ourselves in, as guests in the Lord's house. The good shepherd becomes the benevolent host. And the first picture that I want to point to you is this. Notice the first picture that I want, to, want you to note from the outline. It's, it's very prevalent there in verse 5. It is, we are presented with a bountiful table. A bountiful table. You prepare a table before me, David writes. This isn't a table that's used like a desk or as a table that you stick a a, a, a lamp on. I don't know how your tables are. Most of mine in the house have very little space left on them to accommodate anything else. And if I want Caroline to know I said that, I'll tell her myself. But <laughs> this too is a bountiful table, but it's filled with all kinds of food. It's a table that you sit down to eat from. David is talking about here about a table like many of us probably will experience here at Thanksgiving in a, in a few weeks when, when the tables just fill with all kinds of sumptuous food and, and, and drink of all kinds. And David tells us that it's the Lord God who prepares this table for us. He arranges it. He sets it out. He puts it in order. Notice this is not, nothing is wrong with a buffet, but this is not a buffet. He's not saying, hey, get your plate, come by, put everything you want on it, and then go find your own little spot over in the corner and sit by yourself. No, a place has been prepared. It's like when you come into a home and you've got a, a plate with, with all of the fine linens and all of the drinks that are set there in front of you, and, and, and it's all put with, they know exactly how the forks and the knives, and I have no idea how they go together, but, but the host does, and they put them there, and it's a place for you. Do you see the intimacy? This is, this is telling us that the Lord prepares a table for us to be able to have an intimate relationship with Him at His table that He has prepared. This is a special environment set up so that the guests feel honored and welcomed. 
This intimacy is reflected in the special relationship that exists between the guest and the host. Now, notice also that David tells us that this table is prepared in the presence of his enemies. Now, to be honest, that phrase right there has, has been the one that commentators and scholars have probably stumbled over the most in their attempt to try to understand this picture. After all, who are the enemies? Why are they there? And, and, and why are they looking on? And, and are they defeated enemies that, that must somehow or another watch David eat as a way of, of showing that he is the victor? Or, or are they simply just waiting for him to finish so that they can come and pounce on him again? And then when you add the sheep metaphor back in there, it just even gets more muddied. I'm not sure that there is a solid consensus on the answer to those questions, but I will give you my thoughts. You see, I think it reflects not only the intimacy that David has with this benevolent host, but it also reflects the confidence in the protection that he's already mentioned back in verse 4. Back in verse 4, he says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, those are the, those are the tools that the shepherd used to provide safety and defense for his sheep. Here in verse 5, however, we find that David is a guest who is now seated at a table spread with a feast. And such a picture indicates that David can sit there securely and in safety. You notice what he, he's not eating on the run. He's not gulping something down and chewing on something quickly so that he can stay on the run getting away from his enemies. No, he is seated. He can sit and he can take his time and he can enjoy that meal. Why? Because he has no fear of the enemy getting to him. That's the first thing that I think that in the presence of my enemies communicates to us. So what's the next one? But I think it also then presents us a picture, though, of, of how David is, is, is occupying a place of, of honor and, and vindication. I do think the idea of vindication is here. You know, one of the great mysteries of this life is why the wicked seem to prosper, why the godly suffer. Listen, it's taken up many times, even here in the Psalms, and Lord willing, we'll get to some of those and we'll be able to investigate it firsthand for ourselves. But it often appears, doesn't it, that, that God's enemies have the upper hand in this life? It often appears as if the ones who are opposed to God seem to be the ones who are winning. The godly are oppressed and the persecuted and they're persecuted and, and the wicked seem to get away with it. Psalm 23, verse 5, though, gives us a different perspective. Psalm 23, verse 5, gives us a, a heavenly perspective on that. It tells us that the end of the story looks far different than the way the story looks right now. God will vindicate His people. He will ultimately right everything that is wrong. His people may be persecuted and mistreated now, but one day they will be seated at his banqueting table and his banner over them will be love. So, so this bountiful table, it represents a place of intimacy. It represents a place of safety and security and vindication. But notice also that David speaks of having his head anointed with oil. This one is a little more difficult for us to understand in our current culture. In fact, if you invited me to your home and I came and sat down and you took some oil and poured it over the top of my head and it ran down through my beard onto my shirt, I'm not quite sure if I would know exactly how to handle that. <laughs> but here's what I would say. In ancient Near Eastern cultures, that was, that was a commonplace. That was, 
that was showing affection and and it was showing deference and respect to the guests who came. Because in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, particularly living in that dry and dusty environment as they did, to have oil poured over one's head, oftentimes with perfume in it as well to create a, a, a wonderful smell, was, was an act of, of, of service. It was an act of love. Ray Fowler notes this. He says, It was a dry and dusty climate, and oil on the head was a welcome refreshment for guests. In the scriptures, many have noted that oil is often associated with gladness of heart and with joy. And the oil that is spoken of here, many would say, represents the gladness and the joy that the Lord of hosts brings to his children. So that being the case, if that, that's true, and I, I certainly believe that that is the case. What we see is that this bountiful table signifies intimacy with the host. It signifies protection and security that the host provides as well as vindication of the guest, and then it signifies the gladness and joy that is available to the guest who is invited into the host's home. And then it's as if David reflects on all that and he just says, I can't handle it. My cup, my cup just runneth over. I can't handle it. It's just too much. And that brings me to the next picture. There's another picture that we see here, and it is an overflowing cup. The bountiful table, we move from it, we move to the overflowing cup that David tells us about. Now, this, this image is really a picture that communicates the abundance of everything that David's already told us about. Um, there's no end to the blessings that God pours out upon his children. There is an extravagant table filled with food and with drink that David has set before him. There is, there's no lack of that. There's no lack of the security and the safety with which he will enjoy forever. There is no lack of the gladness and the joy that will overflow his life forever. In fact, just picture a cup that just keeps overflowing no matter, no matter how much you drink from it. It is a cup that continues to spill over and with the never-ending supply of God's goodness and His kindness forever. Our minds aren't, aren't wired to understand things in that way. We always look at stuff with the end involved. That there's going, this all going to come to an end. David said his cup's going to overflow forever. If this picture communicates anything to us, it clearly communicates that God is not stingy. Have you ever thought about that? God doesn't run to his cupboard and look in there and see how much he's got and saying, okay, I got to feed all of these people tonight. I got to make sure I portion it out just right and parcel it out so that everybody gets a little bit. But I got to make sure that it all lasts. No, he's not worried about there being more month at the end of the money. He doesn't, that's not a concern for God. He's not stingy. In fact, David says in Psalm 16 verse 11, he speaks to the Lord. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see how that understands who God is and what he's able to provide his children and those who are guests in his home. That's the kind of abundance that I believe is pictured here when David talks about his cup overflowing. I also think it's pictured in what David says at the beginning of verse 6. In verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, now, goodness is a noun there in the Hebrew language that refers to all of the good things that the Lord blesses us with. It refers to all of the blessings with which David has already told us about 
earlier in this psalm. To every blessing and every pleasant thing that the Lord God, the good shepherd, the benevolent host provides you, look, it follows you. But then the second word there is, is mercy. We translate it mercy. Most of your translations call it mercy. It's the word that we have looked at many times in the past. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And that Hebrew word hesed is important because it is a word that tells us that God's love is steadfast and unchanging and always reliable. He is the, it is the loving kindness. It is the, it is the love that is, that is displayed toward us that we can never, ever run dry. And, and, and hesed is really the word that's used to describe the, the covenant love that God has for his people. It expresses his loyal commitment to those who come to him and who belong to him. And so David is saying, look, his, his kindness, his goodness, his wonderful things he does and that commitment of love and kindness to us, look, it, it follows us. Now, what I want to challenge is the word follows. Because it's, it's a good word. It's a good word in our English language and it's how we've got it. We've got this psalm memorized. But understand this, the word follows there. Most of us, when we think of it, we might think of it, especially for parents, kind of like our kids, where they're following us all the time and we're going, y'all have got to hurry up because we have got to get moving. We are not going to get to church today if we're, no, if we're, I'm not, we're going to be late to school. If you can't get, come on, they're following us, but we're having to drag them along, right? That is not the way David means this. That's not what this word means. The word follows here in the Hebrew is often translated as someone pursuing someone. It's being used in the sense of an enemy that's pursuing the foe or, or a predator pursuing its prey. And so what David is saying here is that the goodness of God and the mercy of God pursues me all the days of my life. It runs after me. It hems me in all the days of my life. Look, we are being chased by God, not by His anger, not by His wrath. We are being chased by His hesed, by His loving kindness toward us. Dale Raph, David put, Davis puts it this way. It's as if God says that, that He has two special agents that He sends out. Goodness and faithful love. And these agents are in pursuit of David, seeking to overtake him, waylay him, and dog his tracks all the days of his life. Now think, think about this for a moment. When we think about somebody chasing us down, our first response is probably to run away. To feel like there's some kind of danger involved with being chased by someone like this. But here's the thing, neither David nor you nor I have any reason to fear such pursuit. Why? Because it only ends with us drinking from cups that overflow from the bountiful blessings of God's abundant love toward us. It, it is a pursuit that only pushes us toward the house of the Lord. And that is an absolutely amazing and an astounding thought. So we've, we've pictured a bountiful table and an overflowing cup. And now, notice with me the last picture that David paints for us. The third point on your outline is this. It's an eternal home. An eternal home. David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, as I read this, I was struck by something. Recently, I was away. I was staying in a hotel and in a conference and 
The hotel was nice. It was a nice room. had a nice bed. Um, there was a, a desk and a chair in it. Big TV on the wall. Um, had internet. I could use it. Had my phone. I could FaceTime my wife. I could see her, see the kids. We could talk. Wasn't home. Nice as it was. Wasn't home. You want to know why? My family wasn't there. My wife wasn't there with me. My kids weren't there with me. Um, home is where the family is. Um, I can take you to some houses right here in, in this area. We could leave this afternoon. I can get, matter of fact, I can get you to a couple of houses my family lived in quicker than I can get you to the house that I currently live in. I can take you past there and I can show you that's where, that's where we live, but you want to know that's not home for me anymore because my family doesn't live there. When David says that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, listen, the reason why this is a beautiful picture is because he's talking about going home. He's talking about going home, and, and home is not here. He's going to the house where the Lord is, where the Lord resides. He is going to the place where he is going to be in the presence of his Lord. It's the Lord's house because that's where he is. And that's what makes it home for David. I like how one has put it. The Lord who is our shepherd back in verse 1 is the same Lord who is our benevolent host here in verse 6 who welcomes us to our home where we will live forever with him. And it is that next point that I want you to know. It is the forever part. That's what makes it our eternal home. Ray Fowler puts it this way. He says, when the Lord invites you into his home, it is for keeps. It's forever. In other words, the, the abundance of the blessing that the Lord provides us, they're unending. And so is the time that we will spend with him. And what awaits us will be glorious. David writes in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I desire of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Roger Ellsworth reminds us that the provisions of God in this life are all small foretastes of what await believers. The greatest expression of the goodness and mercy of God awaits us in heaven. The people of God will then be with the Lord who cared for them every step of the way and they will never be separated from him. As his guests, our bountiful host gives us an eternal home. He gives, he gives us an overflowing cup and he gives us a bountiful table from which to eat. The prophet Isaiah, he tells us the same thing. I, I, I couldn't... I couldn't cut this out. I had to read it for you because I think it's such a beautiful passage in Isaiah 25, verses 6 and following. The prophet says this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and, we, and he will swallow up 
on this mountain, the covering that is cast over the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. He, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his self. Over the, I mentioned this is the fourth and the final sermon in, uh, in, this, in this 23rd Psalm. In my previous sermons, I've tried to summarize each one of them in a personal way. I've wanted us to take away something personal from what David has said in this Psalm. And I wanted to highlight the benefits that come to us as a result of what we learn here in Psalm 23. So in verse 1, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd... I shall not want. The way I phrased it was this way. Because I am a sheep who, need, who, who on my own lacks everything, I need the Lord Jesus to be my shepherd so that I will never lack anything. And then when we looked at verses 2 and 3, we were told that the shepherd leads his sheep to green pastures and to still waters, and that he restores the sheep's souls. And, and what that means is that full and abundant life is available to us, and it is, it is founded on, on what the good shepherd does. He leads us into those right paths and therefore I concluded that I will not lack anything when I trust the Lord Jesus as my shepherd and I follow him on the right path to abundant life but we also have to acknowledge that following the good shepherd on the paths of righteousness does not mean that every road that we go down is going to be smooth that's what we looked at last week in fact there will be valleys of the shadow of death David describes in verse 4 what we clearly learn though that is the right path to abundant life will inevitably take me through dark valleys, and yet I need not fear because my shepherd is with me to guide me and to defend me. And then from there, as we have studied today, we come to realize that no matter how long and how dark and how arduous the journey may be through the dark valley, our good shepherd will lead us through it. We know that we will go through it because it is not our ultimate destiny. Brothers and sisters, our ultimate destiny is not the dark valley. Our ultimate destiny is the house of the Lord forever. Our ultimate destiny is to move through the valley to the home that he has prepared for us. And therefore, based upon that, I have put together this sermon in a sentence today that I want to mark it for you as it still pertains to us as a personal statement. And so my sermon in a sentence is this. My good shepherd is also my benevolent host who serves me from his table, vindicates me before my enemies, blesses me with unending satisfaction, pursues me with his unfailing love and kindness, and welcomes me into his home to dwell with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever without end. Now listen, when you think about that, when you consider just how kind and good and merciful, and protecting, and compassionate, and persevering our good shepherd is. When you consider that every need you have ever had and will ever have has been met through the kind providence of the good shepherd, when you, when you think back to every green pasture and every abundant meadow that you have metaphorically ever lain down in and rescued, when you think back to every 
metaphorical stream that you have ever drank from in order to receive refreshment in your life. Every time you've traveled down a wrong path and that you've gotten yourself in trouble, but mercifully have been brought back to the right path because the good shepherd has taken his crook and pulled you back into the way. When you remind yourself that the good shepherd has always been looking after you and guiding you and preparing the way for you and loving you and leading you, when you recall the deep, dark valleys that you have gone through, times when you weren't sure that you could take the next step, and you also recall just how bad things, though, could have been if things hadn't been different. You recall that things could have turned out even worse than they were. The circumstances could have been even more difficult for you because the good shepherd had walked right beside you with his rod protecting you from even worse things to happen. And he had walked with you every step of the way, protecting you, defending you, and pulling you back from danger. And then when you consider what the good shepherd has in store for you. That he has a table with food and drink of such superior quality and in such great abundance that your mind cannot fully comprehend it. A home where you will be cared for and protected and sustained for all eternity. A place where there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more death and there will be no more coronavirus and there will be no more lockdowns. When you talk, when you take all of that into consideration this morning that all this is available to you and to me, let me ask you, are you worshiping and loving and obeying and following that good shepherd? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you committed yourself to him? Have you fallen on your knees before Him and confessed your sin and said, God, I am a sinner. I have no need for you to love me like you do. I could never earn it. But yet I know that you love me because you have declared it to me. And your word, what your word declares is true. Have you fallen on your knees before Him and committed your life to Him and said, come, let me let me be one of the sheep in your flock. I want you to know this morning, the only way that these promises become yours is when you take that step of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And here's what he promises. Every single person who does that, he will extend his grace and mercy and all of those promises become yours. It only comes through Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, who came to serve us. You see, the only way, the only way we get to drink from an overflowing cup is by the fact that Jesus Christ drained the cup of God's divine wrath against our sin. This only comes to us, the only way we ever get to heaven is through the way of the cross and the resurrected Christ who gives us life through his name. And so this morning, I ask you, is the Lord Jesus your good shepherd? Is he yours? Are all of these promises being claimed by you? I want you to know, if, they, if they're not, then won't you? If you're joining us online and maybe you're hearing the sermon, maybe you're hearing it a long time in the future. I don't know. But I want you to know they're going to put a phone number up on that screen. 
if you'd like to talk with somebody and have someone pray with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ, please call that number. We would love to pray with you here. We'd love to talk with you more about what it means to trust Christ and become a believer and become a follower of His. If you're in this room, there's going to be a couple of us in those rooms that stand off to the side. If you'd like to talk with us about what it means to be a follower of Christ when you leave this morning, please do that. Don't leave this place unassured of you knowing that you are a sheep in the pasture of the Good Shepherd. If you are assured of it, then what else is there for us to do than to rejoice? Rejoice in what the Good Shepherd has given us, undeserved on our own, but we have it in our possession unless we rejoice and we live obediently unto the Shepherd who calls us. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father and our God, we thank you for loving us like you do, and we thank you for protecting us and giving us victory and blessing us and pouring more into our cup than we can ever imagine, and you don't just shell it out in small portions. You give it to us abundantly. Father, that, again, we, we, we have to take it in context. We, may, we know that that doesn't mean we'll never go through dark valleys. But we know you'll always be there with us. And we know that the dark valleys are not our destination. They're only a passageway that leads us ultimately to our heavenly home with you. So we're grateful for that. We're thankful for the understanding and the knowledge that you give us of it. Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts and the lives of these that are under the sound of my voice, both digitally and right here in this room. Not so that there would be any authority in me, but there's authority in this word. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their lives to bring forth the fruit that you desire. I pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.